Thank you, Seth, very much. We're going to start off the sermon by actually just reading one verse, which will tie into the rest of the sermon as we go along. But here's that one verse from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of God. You can be seated. This will likely be the last sermon in our series on the New Testament church. We may have one more, but we'll just see what happens this week. As you might recall, this uh, series on the New Testament church, we have started it by talking about the birth of the New Testament church, and we saw how actually that was a Trinitarian work. We saw that it's through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that the church was birthed in the first place. Then we talked about the foundation of the New Testament church. We saw that the foundation that the church was built upon was the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Word of God itself. Then, our third message in this series was the focus of the New Testament church. We saw that they were primarily focused on four things. The apostles, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. We talked about also, last week, the people of the New Testament church. We saw apostles, we saw deacons, and others. We learned that the church is led by the Holy Spirit. And when the church is led by the Holy Spirit, individually... We're not dependent. They weren't dependent upon the apostles to move or do anything. They were only dependent, really, upon the Holy Spirit. And when each person was acting in his or her gifts, based on how the Holy Spirit was moving that individual, we saw that the church grew and functioned accordingly. Today, today we're going to talk about, lastly, the spread of the New Testament church. So we've got the birth, the foundation, the focus, the people, and lastly now, the spread of the New Testament church. And we're going to see the church actually spread through persecution and through suffering. It actually spread out because of that. And we're going to see what role actually persecution and suffering has played in the birth of the church and just the church when it was young in its infancy and what that still plays in our life, and how we should think about persecution and suffering for the name of Jesus as the American church. Because remember, our goal in studying the New Testament church is to see how should we actually be as Christians according to the Word of God and not according to American culture. Because where American culture differs from the Word of God, well, We don't adjust the Word of God to fit the culture. We adjust the culture to fit the Word of God. Amen? Will you bow with me as we ask God's blessing on this time? Father, I want to come to you and ask that you would please cause our hearts to be attentive to the truth. Lord, please help us as your body to be just that, Lord, the body that glorifies the head, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would use your Word this morning to not only convict us of our sins, but also to convince some. And Lord, of course, to convert some even. We pray, Lord, for those of us who are already in Christ, that you would please be using this to build us up. 
and make us more like your dear son, Jesus Christ. Give us ears to hear and a heart to obey. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. So we're going to walk through some parts in the book of Acts here in just a moment where we see persecution starting and we, can, and we see it roll on through the book and then we see it ramp up through the book too. But I want to not only show you that this was what happened in the book of Acts, but I, I really want to talk about why it happened. There's a, there's a lot under that why. We know one reason why it happened is because the darkness hates the light. The devil hates God and therefore hates God's people because we know we are, we are identified with Jesus Christ and he identifies himself with us whenever we get saved. Remember when Paul, in this book, is confronted by the Lord Jesus on the road to persecute Christians. What's Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love that because that shows just how closely the Lord Jesus identifies himself with us. It's like that big brother in school. Hey, you pick one, you pick on my brother, you're picking on me, right? That's how Jesus is with us. He says, why are you persecuting me? You persecute my people, you're persecuting me. That's how close Jesus identifies himself. So number one, the church is suffering. Why are they suffering? They're suffering because darkness hates the light. That's number one. But why are God's people willing to suffer for the truth? That's really what we need to know if we're going to suffer rightly, is the why behind it all. Why would we go through such a thing? There's a book by John Piper called Let the Nations Be Glad. It's primarily about missions. However, there's so much about it that's just applicable, just everyday life. He talks about the why of suffering. Listen to this. We measure the worth of a hidden treasure by what we will gladly sell to buy it. If we sell all, then we measure the worth as supreme. If we will not, what we have is treasured more. And then he says, he's quoting from Matthew 13, 44 here. He says, quote, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The extent of his sacrifice and the depth of his joy display the worth he puts in the treasure of God. Loss and suffering, joyfully accepted for the kingdom of God, shows us the supremacy of God's worth more clearly in the world than all worship and prayer. Let me read that again. Loss and suffering, joyfully accepted for the kingdom of God, show the supremacy of God's worth more clearly in the world than all worship and prayer. The watching world, watching unsaved world, can look upon our worship and our prayer and say, okay, they're devoted to something, but when they look upon our suffering and persecution, and they, then they get the clearer picture and they say, wow, oh my gosh, they like, they like really believe this. Yes, we really believe it. And that's the point he's making here. The point for what we're going to see in the suffering that these early Christians are going through, 
We need to see behind it. This is how much they value Jesus Christ and his truth. This is how much they value it. They're willing to suffer this much? Wow. Wow. And then we can also take our plays from them and say, this is how they did it. This is what happened to them. This is what I should expect if I'm actually living godly. Because the word of God even says, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is good for us to hear too, because we know, we know as the American church, we know, just as Americans in general, we're trained to run far and fast from suffering. We're just trained from a very young age in this country to run far and run fast from any suffering. And we pay dearly sometimes to avoid suffering. We pay lots of money to avoid suffering. And so we sometimes will then carry that over into our Christianity and say, well, if I'm suffering, that's bad. And I need to pray to get out of it. Let's start and see the very first persecution unfold in the book of Acts for these new Christians. Let's see what the very first one was. It's in chapter 4. You can either follow along in your Bible or it's going to be on the screen behind me. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. This is the first instance we get of them suffering in any way for the gospel. Here it is. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. It's growing. It's growing so fast, so quickly. Because remember the first sermon that Peter preached, 3,000 souls came in. Now 5,000 souls come in. Jesus said to them, the fields are white for harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers into the harvest. And that's what happened. That's what's happening here. Talk about fields ripe for harvest. Oh my goodness. 5,000 souls in one sermon? Wow. That's amazing. What a move of the Spirit. So here... The first one, they're arrested. Starts out sort of mild. They're just arrested. Let's see what happens next. Well, as you know, I don't know if you recall, they arrest them, they put them in custody, and they basically say, hey, stop doing that. So as you recall, the apostles say, okay, we'll stop because we're really scared of you guys, and then they don't ever preach again. No, that's not what happened. They say, thanks for that, but um, we're going to keep preaching. So look at verse 18. Same chapter, verses 18 through 21. This is the second instance of their persecution, suffering in some way. We start with them being arrested. This now moves up to them being warned and threatened. I know, Stacy, this is so good. It chokes me up too, sister. This is just, this is so good. Verses 18 through 21 of chapter 4. So they called them and, look at this, charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We were on a mission trip once in Belize and we were painting a church for this church that... um, 
didn't have much fun, so we were painting it for them. And one of my friends painted chapter 4, Acts 4.20, above the door as you're walking out of the church. And I asked him, I said, what's, what's Acts 4.20? Because I didn't have my Bible in my hand. And he said, for we cannot but speak about what we have seen and heard. And I thought, oh, that's good. And so ever since that mission trip, this verse is stuck in my head, Acts 4.20. For we cannot but speak about what we've seen and heard, is what Paul says. We can't shut up about this. What we've seen and heard is so glorious. We have to speak about it no matter what you say. Verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, first they charged them not to speak, then they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. So, start of chapter 4, they arrest them. Middle of chapter 4, charge them not to speak, threaten them. It doesn't stop there. The third instance happens in chapter 5. They're arrested once again. Chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him because they went back out and they kept preaching. So so they bring them back in, except they bring them in gently because all the people love them. And so they don't just run up to them and say, hey, we're going to hit you on the head and we're going to take you in and you better... Submit to us, or it's going to get nasty for you. No, they say, hey, guys, we all, we all please follow us. We don't want to start a, a mob here. And so they bring them in gently, and then they're talking about them, what they should do with them. The high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. Hey, all the people like them better than us. Filled with jealousy. Look at this, verse 18. They arrested the apostles put them into public prison. So now they're arrested and in prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and hide so those bad guys don't hurt you anymore. Is that what he says? No. He didn't say, go, run to the mountains, get very far away because you know it's God's will that you should always just be happy and healthy And we don't want those bad guys to hurt you anymore. That's our supreme concern here, apostles, is that your physical bodies just stay perfect and that your mind doesn't get too stressed out by any of this. No. What's he say? Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Basically, the angel said, go right back. And do exactly what you were doing when you got threatened and arrested and put in prison. Go back and do it again. Because that's what's most important. That the word of God go out more important even than your physical body. Do you know why it's more important than your physical body? Because your physical body is so temporary. So temporary. The 80 85, maybe 90 plus possibly years that you live, do you know how small they're going to seem compared to 20 trillion years of staring at God's face in eternity? So, a vapor, James says, your life is but a vapor. That's why we don't waste it. Don't Waste your life by being so concerned about this American plan to keep your body happy, healthy, safe, make sure your feelings never get hurt, all that. 
No, that's not what's supreme to God. What's supreme to God? Go and speak the words of this life. Truth going out so that souls can be saved and the kingdom can be built on the truth of the word of God that abides forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. And that's what the angel was concerned about because that's what God told the angel to tell the apostles. This angel would not speak any words on his own, not ever. He would only speak what God commanded him. They walk in perfect obedience to the Almighty. And that's what they did. Well, they go out and preach. (laughs) Again. (laughs) And somebody comes back and says, hey, those guys that you put in prison, they're outside preaching. What's going on? And they say, nah. They go back to the prison and they're like, sure enough, it's empty. What happened? So they go out. And they confront them again. Chapter 5. This is the fourth record now of them being persecuted or suffering in some way for preaching the good news, for speaking about Jesus Christ. This is the fourth instance in chapter 5, verses 40 through 42. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them. This is the first time they had what you can call skin in the game, literally. Now they're actually bleeding for Jesus in this way. Being beaten. They called them and they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Yeah, have fun with that. And let them go. They thought, we're going to inflict physical pain upon them. Now they'll get the message. They beat them and they basically said, stop talking about Jesus. It's going to get worse for you. We're not kidding. Look what we just did. And we have authority to do it again. Because they did. Because they can, they had a charge against them as the Jewish court. See, the Jewish court got to exist underneath the big Roman court. The Romans were in charge of all this. But when the Romans invaded a land, they didn't just say, hey, let's stomp them all out, crush them, raise everything to the ground, and just start over. No, they invaded and they said, we're going to let you continue to exist, but you're going to do things my way. If you don't like that, we're going to kill you. So you can live with us as the boss or die with us as the boss. Most people said, we'll live with you as the boss. And that's what they did. So they let the Jewish people still be Jewish and they let the people still have their own court, but they weren't allowed to kill anyone. That's why they had to take Jesus to the Roman governor and he had to say, okay, kill him. But they could beat them. And that's what they did. So they had a charge against them, public blasphemy. You're calling Jesus God. That's a crime. We can legally beat you and keep you in prison as long as we want. We can get you so close to death, so close to death. But we can't kill you. So they beat them, charged them not to speak. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council. What's it say next? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Notice it didn't say, they left the council saying, hey, this is getting serious. We should stop. They just beat us. 
What if they beat our friends? What if they beat our wives? What if they beat our children? We should cut this out. Maybe we should reconsider this whole Jesus thing. No. Remember, they found the treasure in the field. They found the pearl of great price, and nothing was more valuable to them. We need to take cues from this, American church. We need to take cues from this. Because there's some type of persecution coming to us. It's actually already here. You can see it growing. It's not going to take the form of physical beating, more than likely. It's going to take the form of you losing your job. It's going to take the form of you um, getting charged by the government, perhaps, because you're not accepting certain people the way they say you should accept them. You're not accepting certain lifestyles the way you should accept them. And persecution is going to come upon you, but it's going to hit your pocketbook. But for us as Americans, we feel that, don't we? Because we love our money here a lot. And so when they hit your pocketbook, it's going to hurt, especially when you lose your job. You're not able to have as much. You're not able to possibly even have that retirement that you're saving up for that you want so badly. That might have to go away because you've got to live. Lose your job. Lose your credentials, perhaps, even. Online. They start to attack your character online even. Word spreads in that company industry. You can't get hired back in the industry again. Start all over again, maybe with some other field of work. Maybe get sued. Maybe you get sued. And they win. Because the laws have changed to be so evil and backwards to the word of God and demonic that everything that's righteous and good and right now looks evil to them. And Jesus said, woe to those who call good evil and evil good, meaning there are people who do that. And woe to them. May a curse be upon them. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, look at this, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, that's the Messiah, is Jesus, or that Jesus is the Christ. They didn't stop. Now they have skin in the game. Now they have physical, physical wounds on their backs, and they keep going. They keep going. They keep preaching and teaching from house to house. They didn't stop. You know why? Because Jesus is the pearl of great price. They already had the reward. They had Jesus. And now anytime they're beat, they say, oh, wow, we got to share in the sufferings of Christ. It was an honor for them. It was an honor. So we've gone from arrested, warned, then threatened, then arrested once again, thrown in prison, then beaten. It's ramping up. You see how it's ramping up? It's going to now get exponential. Because watch this. The fifth instance of a persecution in the book of Acts comes in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, this wonderful man named Stephen, who um, was one of the seven that were chosen as helpers, maybe perhaps the first deacons, he preaches once they capture him, 
because people come up and they say all these lies about him, that he's blaspheming God, blaspheming Moses and all these things, speaking against Moses and God, throwing lies. And so they arrest him and they bring him before the council. And what happens is this. He takes that as an opportunity to preach the second longest recorded sermon in all of Scripture. Jesus is being the first. The Sermon on the Mount encapsulates three chapters of Matthew, Master, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's a pretty long sermon. This is the second longest, if I'm not mistaken. Wonderful sermon, masterful, and all just from memory with the Holy Spirit leading him. When he's done, they're cut to the heart. And on top of that, they're angry because of what he's about to say here. Verses 54 through 60 of Acts chapter 7. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Children, what that means is like, have you ever seen someone so mad that they talk with their teeth closed? Like, I'm going to get you. Like that. That's what that means, grinding your teeth at someone. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He saw it. Heaven and earth became, the separation between heaven and earth became very thin at that moment because the Savior was about to reach down and take that man's soul to be with him because he was about to die. And what a glorious sight he got to see. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They couldn't stand what he was saying because to them it was just horrible blasphemy. And rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Similar to what Jesus said when he died, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Children, that means he died. That's like a Bible way of saying he died. So now it's ramped up big time. Now they're stoning people. Now they're killing people. This is how enraged they are being fueled by the wicked one himself to silence this truth. Cut it out. Stop doing it. And the, the evil one empowered them with such hatred and with such deception that they thought they were doing God a service. And I believe Jesus even said that what happened to them. The time will come where people will kill you think that they're, thinking that they're doing God a service, thinking that they're doing God's work. Like we hear a lot of God talk in our day. I'm noticing that that's ramping up too among our governors and government and high officials. This talk, God bless you and God this and God that. One of the speeches that a very powerful figure in our country said recently had all this God talk in it. And I thought, hmm, this sounds familiar. This has a flavor to it that I've tasted before in the scriptures. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen is now dead. And Saul was one of the ones there keeping guard of the cloaks. Yeah, I'll watch them for you. Go to work. Speaking of Saul, let me now show you what's called the great persecution. Now things are getting really out of control. 
very lawless, it seems, chapter 8. There's more in the book of Acts, but this is where we're going to stop because this ties into the grand theme of what we're talking about, the spread of the New Testament church. Notice, have you, have you seen a pattern, though? Stop talking about Jesus. They talk about Jesus. Hey, we mean it. You better quit. And then an angel lets them out and says, you, you just keep doing what the Father tells you. Don't worry. Oh, okay. Then they're arrested and beaten. You better quit doing that. Yeah, we got to suffer for him. Let's keep preaching about him. And then now, someone's killed. One of the brothers is actually dead. This should get their attention right. This should make them say, okay, now people are dying. And it was Stephen, of all people. Let's not lose any more. Maybe we should just keep quiet about this and just be private. Maybe we should just keep our beliefs to ourselves. After all, there are many roads that lead to God. Who are we to say that we have the only truth? After all, we don't want to hurt people's feelings. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And watch this. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Of course they were sad. They loved him. But not so sad to stop the work. Why would they do that? But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. Remember, the apostles were going house to house, spreading the truth. Now Saul is going house to house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now watch verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about doing what? Preaching the word. These Christians won't shut up. Stop talking about Jesus. Quit it. We'll kill you if you don't stop. Okay, let's kill one of them. That should shut them up. All we did now was stomp the puddle and all these splashes went everywhere. And everywhere they go, they're telling everybody about Jesus. Where all are they going? Well, when it says that in verse 1, they, a great persecution, we're told, against Jerusalem. And it says they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Does that sound familiar? Remember the verse I read to you at the very beginning when I started? Let me read it to you again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Now, when they first heard that, as Jesus was ascending to heaven, and it was glorious, and it was probably a sunny day, we know there were a few clouds because a cloud enveloped him out of their sight. They were thinking, wow, power from the Holy Spirit being his witnesses, that sounds good. What they didn't know was the recipe to get it to Judea and Samaria was death, persecution, and suffering. What they didn't realize at that time, before the Holy Spirit had been poured out on them, that it's possible to go through death, suffering, and persecution with 
You don't have a category for that in your brain, especially as an American. You already have something against you when you become a Christian in America because you're told you need to avoid death, suffering, and persecution with everything you've got. Spend all your money not to get wrinkles in your face and things like that. I mean, you need to, you need to look young. You need to feel young, and you need to just avoid suffering. Now, granted, am I saying, hey, if you want to be a Christian, just, you should never go to the doctor, you know? No, I'm talking about suffering for Jesus, okay? Let's just be very clear, first of all. Let's be very clear on that. But what I am talking also about is you're also given a Jesus in the American culture who is not the one that's in the Bible. And you're told to be a follower of Jesus that represents nothing of these followers in the Bible. Do you really think that these followers here who were getting beaten and killed and ripped out of their homes and things like that, but keep on talking about Jesus, do you really think they are thinking in their heads, well, maybe we shouldn't talk about Jesus because what if, what if Rabbi Zechariah here gets his feelings hurt? And what if, you know, I actually clean the synagogue? What if I tell him about Jesus and he doesn't let me clean the synagogue anymore and we don't have money? Do you think they're thinking that? Do you think that thought ever even crossed their mind? It may have crossed their mind, but guess what? They already had the treasure. They had the pearl of great price. They have him already. So everywhere they go, they're just glad to be in the kingdom. Sure, is it hard? when you get ripped out of your home and have to go to somewhere you don't know with maybe nothing at all, maybe they even took everything from you. Yes, that's hard, but guess what? They didn't take everything from you. How could they? How could they take everything from you? They can't. What am I saying, American church? I'm saying this. Let's be more like these people. This is how we're actually supposed to be. This is the Christianity we've all should have been having presented to us all along in America, the one that's in the Bible, not the American version at all, not the American Jesus either. If you're going to follow Jesus, you need to know that suffering and persecution is part of the equation. It's normal. It's even a badge of honor. Now, we never go out looking for it. It's easy to make people mad on purpose. Some of us are pretty good at that, actually, right? Some of us have that. It's a part of our personality that we don't like. But what I'm saying is you don't ever go hunting for it, ever. But you also don't go about avoiding it either. When the Holy Spirit tells you to speak, you speak. When he tells you to be quiet, you be quiet. But when he tells you to speak the truth, you speak the truth, no matter the consequences. Because I promise you, having God's approval is better than having money for keeping your mouth shut. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth through suffering, and persecution. Let me end by reading this also, just a few pages later, in that same book, Let the Nations Be Glad, by John Piper. He said this, So we must not water down the call to suffer. We must not... 
um, we must not domesticate the New Testament teaching on affliction and persecution just because our lives are so smooth. It may be that we have not chosen to live in all the radical ways of love that God wants us to. It may be that our time of suffering is just around the corner, but it will not do to take our own comfortable lives and make them the measure of what we allow the Bible to mean. But it will not do to take our own comfortable lives and make them the measure of what we allow the Bible to mean. I want to expose you all to these things in the book of Acts that sometimes get skipped over quickly or sometimes don't get emphasized as much, I think, as they should to show you this is actually normal Christianity. And I also share this with you because I want to bolster your faith knowing that we're in a culture, number one, that already hates God and hates the gospel. And I believe that actually there may be an onslaught of persecution that takes the form, not of this, but takes another form and is going to require Christians with strong biblical backbones and is going to require churches like ours that we be very small to continue to exist, to be havens of truth when people who are out there actually looking for the real deal have a place to come because so many other churches are so watered down and woke and wimpy. We have a robust gospel that is bulletproof. And for those who believe it, they can walk in that power as well in our obedience to the Holy Spirit, even when we suffer. Father, I pray that you would please help us to be strong in the faith. Help us to be bold as lions, but as gentle as doves. Lord, help us to walk in this robust truth that we have, but help us to present it so lovingly. Please, Lord, I pray that you would help those that might not know you yet to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. He's the one who took the punishment for sinners when he shed his blood and died, taking the wrath of God upon himself and rose again from the dead, showing that the Father was pleased with the sacrifice of the Son and that now all who would repent and believe can be saved. That's the gospel. And I pray that you would use that to bring many more into the kingdom and also to remind us who were already in the kingdom what a great Savior we have and help us to suffer anything for his name. And I pray this in that perfect name. Amen.